Blog Talk Radio. I dreamt that you were twisted through seven suns of gold and the gypsy was insisting that a story must be told. I came to in the morning, but I took it as a warning that you might be a treasure I could touch but never hold. Well, Welcome to The Real Deal, Recovery Talk with Julia Maida and Veronica Valley. Hi, I'm Veronica Valley, and Julie, my co-host, is calling in live in the trenches of motherhood as we speak. Hi, Julie. <laughs> Hi. Uh, yes, I am buying my 21-year-old daughter a car today, um, and so this is The Real Deal right now. Like, I, I'm glad to have this as an outlet right now because it's a little nerve-wracking over here. In the trenches of motherhood, it in, never stops. It, doesn't, it never ends, ever, ever. I was running around this morning like I had one child in one place and another child in another place, and then I had to pick up the babysitter because she doesn't have a car, and I had to go and get the babysitter, and then one child fell asleep in the car. And you know when you're like, I just can't stretch myself in enough places to get all of the things done that I need to get done to be here at 12.30 to do this with you. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny is that people sometimes come to me that are, you know, in kind of early-ish recovery and they'll say, they'll talk to me about how they miss the chaos of active addiction, which I think is like a pretty across the board for a lot of us. And so I usually just say like, well, why don't you just go have some kids? Because that <laughs> should clear it up. <laughs> like if you, if you want the pressures of having to be everywhere, doing things you don't want to be doing, for people that you don't necessarily even like sometimes, what you should do is go be like have some babies because that will it's it's incredible. I have a I have a a a son who's a, who's gonna be five uh on Monday. I have a an an eight year old son who's gonna be he's seven, but he's gonna be eight in September and then I have this twenty one year old daughter who keeps me on my toes and it's literally never a dull moment in my life. I can't even go to the bathroom by myself. So if that is, you know, and that's going to, that's like my theme too. Um, like if, if you want the chaos, you know, and you, you're missing it, you know, and it's between, I don't know. I'm just, it's, it's absolutely incredibly wonderful insanity. Always. It is, and that, that's why we've been talking about wanting to do uh, this show, which is a Q&A um, about being a sober mother, because we get asked about stuff all the time from women who are just in very early recovery or uh, still drinking and wanting to get into recovery or people in long-term recovery. It's it's like, you know, being a parent is, is a, an enormous challenge, and, mm-hmm. I, you know, with the added extra of being someone who's in recovery with a disease that they have to take care of there's no choice for us um otherwise uh, mm-hmm. how we par- parent deteriorates pretty quickly so i know we've been talking about this for a while i do have uh, some questions so i think the first one judy is really one for you because my kids are, are i have a six-year-old and a two and a half year old and this is something that i wonder about a lot i have to say i'm already thinking about this stuff and the question is um, about older children when they go away to college and how do you talk to them about alcohol and drugs and all that kind of stuff 
and you know how do you approach that and I know you have a college-aged daughter so I wondered what what's your insight onto that because I'm I'm definitely very curious well so that's a really good question and I get this a lot and my usual answer is don't wait until they go to college like do not wait to talk to your children about alcohol and drugs until the day like when you're packing them up for college it's too late by that point okay (laughs) don't wait um I started so my daughter and I, um, anybody who's raising a teenage daughter right now will understand when I say that my daughter's relationship, the, the relationship that we have had over the past like five-ish, six-ish, seven-ish years has been a bit tumultuous. So not always friends, not always besties. Really, I've had to say some things to her that she hasn't really liked. And she has said some things to me that I don't really like. And so if you ever want to come up against your character defects, raising a daughter is like really where the way to go. Um, and so I, I've basically <laughs> been raising myself. It's, yeah, you're, I mean, really. So, and like, th- this isn't the case for everyone. I think, you know, when I, I think teenage girls sometimes get a bad rap because everyone kind of thinks that they're like emotional and over this and over that and over this. And I want to say that that's fair. Like maybe they do get a bad rap, but it's been my experience that, um, girls are different like in some way I know that I was very um I was I was kind of like a rebel or I thought I was and I was doing my best to prove that to the world so I got myself into some scrapes I got myself into some trouble and so I have been basically raising myself in my daughter for a really long time and I've known that so the fears I've had as soon as she started to exhibit any of my behaviors like any of my like she's, she's very sarcastic. She's very, um, you know, she's very witty. She's really smart. I'm not saying she got all that from me, but these, this is like, these are, this is the, the challenge. Um, she is very stubborn. That could be a little bit for me, like all these things that, um, that I don't necessarily love about myself my daughter mirrors back at me. Now, granted, there's also a bunch of things that I love about myself that she also mirrors back, but those are a little bit easier to swallow. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, she's mm-hmm. really good with kids. She's all these things, and I'm like, oh, that's me. It's a yeah. lot harder for me to say when she's being, a, like, a pain in the ass to say, like, oh, there I am. It's really difficult. So the fears that I have or I have had for a long time are that she was going to um, kind of live my life, that she was going to – um, make all the mistakes that I made, that she was going to, you know, have all the relationships, like that basically her, if she continued to act the way that I do or did, um, that she was basically signing up for the destruction of my life, which in hindsight I'm, is really silly, right? Because that, that puts absolutely no trust in my daughter's ability or uh, intelligence or um, just it puts, it, whatever, it's all, all of this is fear-based. Um, and so I found myself trying to control what she did so that she could, so I, that I could help her avoid these problems, right? So she, she's not going to fall in the hole. I know where the holes are, right? I know where all of that is. I know where that, um, the mind, the minefield is. So I'm just going to steer her away from the minefield, right? And she, in her own independence, is like, I'll walk through this damn minefield if I want to. Like, I, I know, I'm, you know, and, and it was a back and forth struggle for power, and so when it came time for her, you know, developing in high school and all of that stuff, it was really hard for me to separate because I have, like, you know, I've heard women um, 
relate parenting to like, you know, having your heart outside of your body. Like that's basically yeah. how I've always felt with my daughter. My daughter is my heart. She is like everything that I just love her to like more than anything. And, and she saved me, honestly, her existence on this, in this world yeah. saved me from myself with my, with my drinking and, and so many scrapes, but anyway, um, in my heart, she'll, she will always, she is my angel. And so as much as we get on each other's nerves and all that stuff, and as much as she is human, she is also this beautiful, like if anything were to happen to her, I don't know what I would do. And so I, outside of wrapping her in bubble wrap and putting her in a tower and cutting her hair every week uh, to protect her, there's not like, you know, it's, it's very a gray area. There's no black and white when it comes to this. Um, and I know that I'm, I'm saying, I'm speaking a lot about being a, a daughter just because that's all I have experience with. I, I have not raised a teenage son yet. Um, and we can maybe have this conversation <laughs> after that, you know, cause we'll both be kind of going through it together. Um, so this is my experience. I'm not saying that it's any different or any better or any worse with a son. I just haven't experienced that yet. So this is why I'm talking mostly about, you know, my relationship with my daughter. So can I, can I ask my daughter, you, you said that, um, and I completely agree, that was a really great point, is don't wait until they go to college to start yeah. talking to them about alcohol and drugs. So yeah. when did you start doing that with your daughter, and how did you do it? I started doing it as soon as she started asking questions. So, like, I, already with my son, my son's eight, and he sees ads because for some reason, I mean, I'm kind of happy but also sad that, you know, while we're watching an on-demand movie about, like, the lion king or whatever that there are ads about like do you have an alcohol or drug problem you know like don't wait to get help and all this stuff i'm like uh so i'm like really glad that you know parents that are watching the lion king are getting that info i'm also like dude like (laughs) not appropriate but it's also opened the opportunity for communication because he's like what is drugs what is like and he's also asked questions about what i do with with the organization because I, 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 you know, like I have I'm sober mommies and I'm, con- I'm constantly saying sober mommy this and sober mommy that. And, and he has questions. Um, and like, what is alcohol and what is this? And what is, I've done my best to answer those questions age appropriately. Right. Cause there's always like, if your child is asking the question, they're somewhat ready for an answer. And the problem that I received, that I got, I think a lot was that I'm the product of the, of the dare you know, generation that say no to drugs, like the yeah. on drugs, which went terribly wrong. And I was, it wasn't, alcohol was never kind of sold as a drug. It was like this socially acceptable thing that you can do in your 21 period of story. Don't drink before you're 21. Um, all this, or, you know, or don't, and don't drive while you're drinking and blah, 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 blah. But it wasn't ever like, you may have this gene or you may suffer from alcoholism or whatever. It was drugs are bad. If you do drugs, you're going to die. Um, and don't drink until you're 21. Yeah. So especially with having like in Massachusetts now, a law has passed that, um, or a bill has passed rather that uh, it's le- it's marijuana is now legal. You have to be 21, um, and you can't like just like open containers, kind of a deal. You can't. Um, oh God. Okay, hold on a second. I'll be in in a second. I'll be in in a second. Yeah. Well, not one second, but. Um, Yet again, listeners, live in the trenches of motherhood (laughs) as we speak. Speaking from the field is our correspondent, (laughs) Julie Mader. Julie, back to you. (laughs) 
looking on the window. She's like, he needs you. I'm like, I, okay, well, this well, is the real deal. This, this is uh, the real deal. So, okay. So my, my point is, um, I've just lost my train of thought, but so, um, he, so basically if your child is asking you questions, they're somewhat ready for an answer. Now, do I suggest that, that, you know, if your eight year old asks you a question about, I don't know, prostitution or something like that, that you're just like, Oh, well, this is what, I mean, I don't know. It's up to each and every individual parent, how they handle these, these questions. Some of us are going to be more modest. Some of us are going to be more careful with our wording. Some of us are just going to let it out and, and see where it flies. Um, so when it came, I, I, as soon as she started asking questions, I started giving her answers. Like, I, like I'm an alcoholic. What does that mean? It means that when I drink alcohol, pretty much, um, you know, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I do know that something bad is going to happen. That's what my alcoholism means to me in an, eight, in an eight-year-old kind of a sense. Like, that's, that's the best that I can do for an eight-year-old as far mm-hmm. as what alcoholism you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't, I'm not going to break it down. I'm not going to like go over the battle or, be, or between whether it's a disease or not. I'm not going to go into any of that. I'm just going to say when I, when mommy drinks, you know, I don't, I don't always know what's going to happen. Um, but it's usually not a good thing. It's usually not good. And so, um, you know, and here's, here's another thing too, because I hear people who are in recovery constantly trying to keep their child from trying A, B, and C or drinking or trying like smoking weed or doing all that stuff. And I try to like in the nicest way possible say, you know, your child is, it's it's a rite of passage in a way. Right. So I don't know many people in, in, in recovery or not, you know, addicted at all that never tried anything. And so what the problem is, is that a lot of people aren't educated. Right. So if I'm, I was 13 the first time I tried alcohol, that was not an educated decision. That was not like a, an informed decision that I made because I didn't know necessarily what I was doing. And so mm-hmm. had I known that it was a possibility that I may, you know, turn into an alcoholic, I might have thought differently. I don't know. I mean, my frontal lobe had not developed. I was not really capable of making that kind of choice, but there it is. Nobody is. So I, my job as a parent is not to keep my child from, falling into those holes, my job is to kind of point them out and, and, and I can, I can help my daughter. I can sit with my daughter and map out where they are or where I, where I know that they are. And then she has a decision of whether or not she wants to walk down that road. And I have to, as a, as a, a health, when I'm healthy, obviously, when I'm taking good care of myself and when I'm all these things, I have to be able to step back and trust that the, that the message and the messages that I have sent her and the education that I have tried to instill in her is going to be enough. And that when she hits that mark where she's like, do I want to walk down this road or this road? She's going to hear my voice in her head saying, well, mom did tell me about this, that, and the other. Whether she hates me or not, because, I mean, I can tell you that um, one of the agreements that we needed to make in her teen years were that we were going to love each other even when we hated each other. Mm. Um, and so, like, you can hate me if you want to as long as you still love me, right? And so – and that was kind of both ways because there were days where I was like unsure if I really liked her a lot. Um, but in open, open communication with other parents, like talk to each other, like go join the, maybe you don't join the PCA if that's, if that's not your bag, but, but like have mom friends in your area that you can, you know, chat with about this stuff because every parent, whether you're in recovery or not, is dealing with this. Like we have parents that are losing their children to heroin addiction every day that aren't they don't know anything about addiction because they don't suffer with it and they never have. And all of a sudden their child is coming home and saying, 
hey, mom and dad, you know, I'm a heroin addict, or people were, unfortunately, you know, it's too late and they're getting a knock at the door. Um, so you don't necessarily have to be a parent in recovery or someone who has struggled with addiction to have a child who struggles with addiction. Um, so really the conversation is always great to be had. Um, and so, you know, my daughter and I had an agreement as far as parties were concerned when she was a teenager in high school. I'm not stupid. I know what's going on at high school parties, right? I know what's going on. And, and also what's going on now is way worse than what was going on when I was younger. Like we were maybe smoking weed and drinking a little bit, but mm-hmm. now they're having like Skittles parties, which are when you take medication out of your parents' medicine cabinet and you pour them into a bowl and then everybody takes a handful. Like, oh my God, mm-hmm. Julie, you're, just, you're scaring me senseless. I mean, I, I, I agree. I remember, you know, when I, when I was, <laughs> when I was a teenager, it's like you knew someone who knew someone whose older brother could get some weed. Now, like they can, they can score cocaine pills. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and heroin. They're taking heroin. Like, as a I know. like weed, I know. weed is no longer like a gateway drug. Like kids are no. going straight to heroin. Yeah. Heroin. And well, you know, the prescription, like the prescription drugs that are available in, in parents' cupboards. I mean, you're completely right. I think the mess, the biggest message that I'm getting here and for anybody listening is don't wait to talk to your kids about this stuff. Start when they start answering questions, you you know, it's like the same when, you know, I, I read pretty much every parenting book going, it's like, we're very, uh, matter of fact about body parts. We don't, do cute names and we just like that's your you know and this is your and we just when very there's no embarrassment and there's certainly no shame and uh I the closest I've come with my five-year-old is uh a little while ago he he said ask me something about alcohol and and I said the same thing mommy alcohol used to make mommy sick makes very mummy very sick and it's not good for mommy and mommy Mm -hmm. just you know needs to make sure she doesn't have any and and straight away, he said, let's make posters and put them all over town saying, don't drink Aww. alcohol. And uh, that was his response. And, uh, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't want to sit him down when he's 13, 15, 18 and say, okay, this is what you need to know about mommy. I just want it to be like, he's just, you know, just like he knows that his mommy's from England. It's, he just knows his mommy's a recovered alcoholic and she helps people and she writes about it and that's just what she does and he's had honest conversations about it that's amazing honestly that's so amazing but also to be really careful not to demonize it because just because I have a problem with alcohol doesn't mean that he will or that or that you know um oh my goodness um yeah I would, I, I would, I'm loving this conversation right now, but there's apparently a problem with my daughter's, um, with the sale and I need to go back into this. That's okay. I I have another question that I can answer. So, uh, Julie Maida in the field of parenting, as we speak, we'll return shortly to, uh, rejoin the podcast. Well, I'm, you go and do what you need to do, Julie. And I'm going to ask, answer a question that someone submitted, which is, um, about balance in recovery. And I know I've been asked this, uh, a lot. Um, how do you balance your recovery and being a parent and all of the other stuff that you need to do, which is, uh, which is really, um, yeah, it's very, very crazy. Um, 
so first of all, here's what I want to say about balance. Um, for me, balance is everything. And it's really what I had to um, learn about in recovery um, was, was how important balance was and how to achieve it. So here's the thing that you need to know about balance is if you're having a problem or you're not doing okay, then check your balance. And by that, I mean, we all have a balanced plate. So imagine that you have a plate and that plate is divided up into all these different sections. So you have uh, sleep, you have career work, you have um, uh, friendships, you have your romantic life, you have your spiritual life, you have health and fitness, you have all of these different segments to your balanced plate. And all of those parts are really essential to who you are as a human being. And, and all of them require balancing. So this is how this works. When you have your uh, balance plate, you may go through different periods of time where, I don't know, maybe work is really demanding and really stressful and you're working, uh, you know, all hours and working late and really not getting anything else done, not being able to exercise, not getting that much sleep. That's okay for a limited time. If it's a big project or it's really important for a limited amount of time, you will be able to live with that. But after a while, if that goes on, continues and continues, and you're not able to exercise, you're not able to see your friends, you're not spending any quality time with your family, if your, your balance plate, if your other needs are not being met, you're going to start getting some really big red flags going up and eventually something will break. And I think you've all, we've all been there. I mean, in, in many ways that's burnout when that happens with our job, but it can be, you know, it can be different ways. I've, I've kind of had the uh, almost opposite. When I first had kids, I went from having a really, really busy life and career to being a stay at home mom, which was fantastic. I loved that. But my, my needs of just like having some kind of work that was mine and some kind of purpose that was just mine completely went for the first couple of years and and that it just meant that something was missing in my life so what I'm saying about the balance plate is changes and evolves as we change and evolve so when I was single you know the the amount of time and resources I had to dedicate to like personal spiritual emotional growth were pretty huge now I look back on it you know, I was regularly able to go to workshops and read really interesting self-help books and have long conversations with people. And I did like a morning and evening like meditation, spiritual practice that I pretty much did most days. You know, exercise was a big part of that. So I was really able to feed and nurture my mind and soul in, in that way. And when I got married and had kids, the time I had to do that stuff just completely went. That's one of the prices of parenthood, and that's one of the compromises as well. So what was, you know, what was really interesting about that is I had to understand that I still had this balance plate and I still had these needs, but my circumstances and my situation had changed. So I had to adapt that I had to adapt my balance plate so what I do to fulfill my personal growth spiritual emotional needs is completely different and in much less and I have much less time to do it in than I did 10 years ago but 
I still do it. And what I have found is because my balance plate has changed so much, as long as I adapt with it and it's like, okay, I can't do more, you know, 30 minutes each morning and evening and I can't spend all weekend away at a really fulfilling workshop on personal development. I just can't do those things anymore. But I can do a couple of minutes here and a couple of minutes there and, and maybe half an hour at the weekend, something. I have found that as long as I'm making the effort to do something, that's actually okay with my balance plate. What doesn't work is when I just tell myself I don't have any time to do anything to take care of myself. I, I really, what I've learned from being a parent is, um, my gosh, you know, that just as Julie was saying, children really come along and really reflect back to you a lot of stuff about yourself and certainly a lot of stuff that you have to work on. And we love them so much and we want to give them everything. Um, on top of that, we're usually exhausted because young children are, are exhausting and usually wake us up quite a lot. And I think that the self-care part of that gets forgotten uh, really, really quickly. You know, that we, we put our needs so far down the list that they rarely get any attention. There's um, a, a parenting expert that I really, really love, and I recommend her to everybody. And it's, her name is Dr. Laura Markham. And she runs a blog called AHA Parenting. And she has a couple of books out that I really, really recommend getting. And she has this really uh, wonderful approach to parenting that uh, we try and practice in our house and really re resonates with me. And the core of it is that... Um, 90% of parenting is about connection and that we have to be connected to our kids for them to want to do what we tell them to do, for them to want to cooperate with us. They, they, they won't cooperate with us if they don't feel they have a connection with us. And I've really, I can really see that with my kids. If I'm just busy on my computer, on my phone, just, you know, like running out of the door, I haven't connected with them. Getting them out of the door is really, really hard. However, if I just spend just a few minutes like connecting, just playing. And I'm only talking a few minutes, three or four minutes, like uh, talking to them, like, oh, so what are you excited about doing at school today, whatever. Then getting them out of the door is so much easier. And it's all about the connection. And she has all of these skills and tools and approaches that um, I've just found really useful. But she has all these principles. And one of the principles that I really, really like is um, – how important self-care is. And she, she puts that pretty much at the top of the list, that um, you can't be the parent that you want to be or the parent your children deserve unless you are taking care of yourself. And she really, really emphasizes the importance of, you know, having a little bit of time away from your children uh, you know, going to bed earlier, trying to get enough sleep, just doing what, whatever you can that just nurtures and feeds you just a little bit each day and each week in order to be able to d delight in your children. And I really love that. Her Her goal is that as parents, especially when our children are really small, what we want to do is to be able to delight in our children. Um, and self-care is such a key, key part of that. Um, so I think that um, self-care is so essential and it's really important to our balance plate. So balancing everything with uh, recovery and children and all, you know, work, career, all that kind of stuff, relationships. I, I think the first 
uh, step is, is to be honest, is recognizing when you are a parent that that's all going to look completely different to how it looked previously, that it's not going to be how it was before you had kids or when you were single, that, that everything and I, everything has changed. And I think sometimes it's, I don't know, it's, you know, when babies are really small and they're really portable, it's like, oh, nothing much has changed. I'm a bit more tired, but I can take them everywhere and still do what I want to do. And I think that's a really kind of hard way to keep going because um, everything has changed and it's really, really difficult to just keep going with that kind of stuff. So I think you have to recognize, first of all, that everything has changed and be very cognizant that you do have a balanced plate and it's changed now. And you have to approach, you still have those needs to fulfill that hasn't changed, but how you fulfill them and the time you have to fulfill them has completely altered. And that for me is the key part is recognizing those two things. And, um, you know, you just adapt. And I also kind of understand that my kids are really young and, um, in you know a few years I have one about to start school I will have more time back and I will be able to do things differently and I do see that in, in other parents who um, do have um, kids who are much older I see that they really are able to uh, you know do things that I just couldn't even conceive of of um, even you know doing now when I have two children that don't sleep very well so there is another question, and Julie is going to be back really quickly. Um, I'm, if back. We have... I'm back. Oh, I just, I just have to get in my car because it's windy. Oh, so yeah. That was perfect timing. I was just talking about balance and recovery and talking about um, what I call our balance plate that we have. We always have these needs that we have to fulfill, but it's a, it, it changes dramatically when we're in recovery. Um, yeah. And uh, it's recognizing that we still do have those needs, uh, but how we fulfill them and the time that we have to fulfill them is completely different. So oh, man, um, I could have totally, I could have totally benefited <laughs> from hearing you talk just now, man. Instead, I was listening to some oh, sweaty guy tell me that I'm. It's so expensive, kids. They're so expensive. I'm just saying oh, that. That's the other thing, oh, right? My oh my god. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm glad you got to answer that question though, because I, I, at this point right now, I don't know if I would have, I would have been, I probably would have been just laughing. <laughs> like, how do you find the balance between, I'm like balance. It's like, it, that's like a, a code word for laugh your ass off right now. Cause I, wow. Balance it's, a, not, it's, also, oh it's also funny. Like so many times, I'm sure you've had these experiences where you're just like, your children take up so much energy. Like I remember going out once and realizing that I had shaved only one leg and I hadn't oh, yeah. shaved my other leg. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't like, oh, I yeah. felt it was like, oh, yeah, I kind of, yeah, that's right, broke out and I had to get out of the shower. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah. You know, and that things that like years ago would have just like, oh, my God, that never would have happened. And, you know, or going out and kind of looking at my shirt and thinking, oh, I have some vomit down but on my shirt, but actually I don't think anyone would notice and I really don't have the energy to change it. And again, yeah, that, I don't even care. I'm like, if the least of my worries is the fact that I have someone else's yeah. vomit on my shirt, like I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Holy shit. Like it is, it's like, 
Oh, my God, which is I'm so grateful to have this, like, amazing group of women in my life, you included, just the real talk, right? Because we need real talk. I cannot be in a group of women because I have been. We've all – I don't know if we've all been, but I have been at that place where I'm, like, sitting there and I'm, like, I just want to stand up and be, like, are you guys serious right now? Because I – like, there were days when, like, especially – so – I've been a mother since I was 17 years old. My experience with my daughter as a single mom up until the point where I met and married my husband is completely different than my experience right now where, like, I got the opportunity to be a stay-at-home mom. I got the opportunity to go and, and hang out in, in playgroups and, like, let him go play and whatever. But there were days where I was sitting in that playgroup listening to these women, and I was just, like, I wanted to be, like, am I the only one that hates my husband right now? Am I the only one that – because how difficult is it to put down the goddamn toilet seat or, like, whatever it was that was bothering me that day? Because I – was struggling so hard with postpartum depression that like literally anything I was like, ah, what are you doing? Um, but like the demands of being a stay at home mom, just, or a work, working mom at home, like a, a working from home mom. I was, I just had a conversation with my daughter two days ago, actually. And she said, she's making some future plans and she has decided that when she gets married, she wants to be a stay at home mom for the first couple of years. Cause she doesn't want to work. And I was like, Oh, that's so interesting that you say that, that you think that maybe it's not like literally 10,000 times more work to be a stay at home mom. When, oh. you can, when you can't remember the last time, you ate a fucking apple without someone else's saliva on it, that's when you know. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you, I can't, like, the door, my, my husband's home, like, and, and sometimes I forget that he's there because he'll take a day off, and I'll be, like, sitting on the toilet with the door open, and he's like, babe, really? Like, what's, what do you, I'm like, you, I can't even close it. Because if I close it, that is an immediate <sighs> invitation to have a, pro- like, you need, someone is going to need to tell me that the Lego they're playing with is red, or they saw a dog, bark, or they heard a dog bark outside, or like they need to ask me a question that can't possibly wait one more second while I just poop and wipe my bum. That no, I can't wait. Or they have to use the toilet and they forgot, and I need to get up immediately so that they can do their thing. Or like you know, and so I'm like, oh, that's great. So I can't wait. I really can't wait. I hope that she does get the opportunity to stay home. Um, but I just can't wait for that, the day that she's like, Mom, why didn't you tell me that this was going to be so hard? And I'm going to say, I did tell you, but you didn't believe me. And no one what, no one really does. But so no. it's, it's the well, balance. That's, that's what you it's, I mean, we would, we would, the human race would die out. Like if anyone truly knew oh, what it was like or oh. ex- exhausting. And, and I, you know, it just sounds horrific when you talk about it, but it's balanced by the fact that you love them so much that you're just yes. willing to do all of that stuff. I, I was just thinking, when yes. you're talking, I, I haven't peed in private for half a decade. Like, I, right. I can't, I, it's not even a thing. It's like yeah. a unicorn. It's not even a thing that I even think is going to, as a possibility. Like, it's like, you know, I just, it's, I roll with it because that's what you do yeah. when you're a mom. You just like, you're like, oh, this is shit. I'm going to roll with it. Like, oh, there's poop on my face or there's poop on my shirt or there's poop like everywhere. Like, right. I'm, it's a, it's a summer in my house, right. With boys. And so the question is the, the hundred dollar <sighs> question is why, what is that smell? The answer is always urine. 
The second question is, where is it? The answer is everywhere. It's everywhere. There's urine everywhere. I can't, like, it's, and I can't even, like, I did get this great tip, though, from one of the mom's groups that I belong to, um, to put regular Listerine in a bottle and, like, spray it around the toilet. Because for, for whatever ungodly reason, my, my boys, and I don't even possibly my husband, I don't know if that gets better with age. The aim is, like, completely off. Oh, my Plus, God. Oh, my God. They're in there together, so they're having a conversation. And so the pee yeah. is like, I'm watching this. Like, they're, they're getting, yeah. you know, we have this routine where I brush, I make sure that they brush their teeth, and one of them does it while the other one pees, and then vice versa. And, I'm, and they're talking to each other, and I'm watching them pee all over, like <sighs> the wall and the floor. And the, I'm like, this is, I, We I could do it. a whole I, podcast on little boys and pee-pee. Like Holy a whole crap. podcast on boys oh and pee pee. I so let's feel. Why, let's call it Why Does My House Smell Like Piss All the Time? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. You have to laugh because if you don't, you'll go crazy. I so what was the question? <laughs> okay, so well, there's another there's another question that I think is really a really important one from uh, Rachel who says, how, "How do you reach out when you know that you need to?" but your mental health just stops you reaching out to people. And I think this is a really mm. important question. Like how do you reach out when you feel like you don't want to reach out, but you know that you need to? That is, that is a really good question. And I'll tell you what, that is, there are, I guess, a lot of reasons why I celebrated, and I'm sure you too, there's a lot of reasons that I celebrated 17 years of sobriety this last, this past May. There's a lot of reasons we did. And I'll tell you that the main reason, the main reason that I celebrated, that I had the opportunity to celebrate so many days at a time is because I have found a way to ask for help when I don't want to. I don't, there has not been a day that I've ever like really wanted to ask for help because I don't want to admit that I'm, that I'm not, that I shouldn't be able to handle this. Right. And I think that mental health issues, I have, I run the gamut of mental illness. Like I, I, it, I have a, a, we talked about it um, in the first podcast. Like I have a trauma history as long as my arm and my brain has, has worked its way and, and helped me in many ways to survive like up until this point, but it hasn't been without, some sacrifices, right? And so I have um, created uh, some coping skills that aren't really awesome, and they've turned into kind of like, you know, I have I suffer from a personality disorder, a dissociative personality disorder, and so um, in dep- like depression and OCD, which is also super fun, um, and I don't unfortunately get to decide what I'm what I obsess about which is another fun addition um (laughs) but it's hard in recovery I think because coming from this 12-step background that I have come from and and maybe you'll relate um it's kind of been instilled in me that if I'm struggling the problem is me right if I'm if I'm unhappy if I'm angry if I'm whatever if I'm if I'm going through something that there is a solution and then I should be working it and then I'll feel better. And so that's, that's great when it comes to um, my boss is an asshole or like whatever it is, or my, you know, my husband didn't put the toilet seat down or, and I'm angry at him or whatever. When it comes to stuff like that, there's a lot of action that I can take. Right. And, and not taking that action results in my suffering. Right. I can, I'm angry at my husband and I'm 
creating fights when it's really about the toilet. It's not really about the toilet seat, but whatever. I can pray. I can meditate. I can call a friend, phone a friend. I can, you know, all of these things. I can go to a meeting. I can um, go to church. I can, there's a million things that I can do to feel better. Yeah. With my mental illness, that's not always the case. Right. And so I can mm-hmm. still do all of those things. I can still phone a friend. I can still, you know, I can take medication. I can um, pray and meditate. I can do all those things. I can be doing literally everything in my power to feel better and still feel awful. And that has over the past probably seven to 10 years, I have really struggled with the line um, and cutting, being able to cut myself some slack and just be human first in recovery, just be human first, just to give myself the opportunity to acknowledge the fact that this is out of, this is beyond my scope. I, 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 you know, I have been diagnosed with these things and some days are very exhausting, even on great days. They're just exhausting because it takes a lot of work just to get to good, right? Just to get to like meh sometimes in my life takes a lot. And that's before mm-hmm. I get out of bed, put a foot on the floor. And so with, you know, the depression and the OCD and the, um, I just, it, I, it's a struggle constantly. And somewhere in my mind, and I don't know if it's the 12 step programming, I don't know, I do really have no idea, but I imagine that the solution based thought you know, the thinking, that solution-based thinking, that's like there's a, for every problem there's a solution. I just have to find it and then I can figure it out and then I can do it and then I can feel better. That mental illness is kind of this, this scenario that doesn't fit into that. And so I can take my medication as prescribed. I'm not currently on medication, but I have been. I, I can take my medication as prescribed. I can pray. I can, I can go for a walk. I can go to the gym. I can do all that stuff and still feel awful. And I can, I'm going to call a friend. I'm going to phone a friend and I'm going to say, I, I, you know, I, I feel really, I'm, I'm really struggling. Those friends that I have in program are going to say pretty much automatically, what have you done today for yourself? Like, what are you doing for yourself? What are you, have you done this? Have you tried this? Have you tried this? Have you tried this? My answer is sometimes going to be, yes, I did all those things. Um, and then sometimes people don't know what to say after that. And so it, it has been my experience and I, I'm not suggesting that this would be anybody else's, but that sometimes the next is, is, kind of somewhat of a shameful thing like well you know there has to be something you're not doing let's try to figure it out together which but really what that says to the person that's called you struggling is this is your fault you're so there's something you're not doing I don't know what it is but yeah. I'm, I'm willing to help you figure it out but this is your fault and that is the that I have figured out in the last seven years that that is the main reason that I don't want to call anybody and ask them for help because I already feel like it's my fault. I already am shaming myself for the fact that I like, you know, I've, I've overcome so much in my life, so much. I, you know, I, I'm in recovery for 17 years, which is a huge, I mean, just 17 minutes before I got sober was incredible. And so this is like, you know, the fact that I haven't had a drink or, or a substitute in 17 years is incredible, right? What's a little bit of sadness, right? This is where I can go in my head, but really I think it's about perspective. It's about the fact, because if I can see myself as a human being, if I can put my problems on someone else, even in my mind to say that if somebody called me and said that they had tried everything that I had tried and that they were still feeling like 
I was, I am feeling, would I have the ability to have sympathy or empathy for them? Right. Cause sometimes I don't get that same amount of credit or, or I don't get a pass. Right. Cause I know better. Um, and the answer is usually yes. The, the answer is usually like, if somebody called me with the problems that I'm experiencing, would I be able to offer them the opportunity for great, like, you know, to understand that they're just human and that sometimes this doesn't even have to do with your addiction. Sometimes this is just human stuff. Sometimes this is just like 39. Like, am I having a midlife crisis? Am I like, am I going to turn my period tomorrow? Is this like what, what, you know, sometimes it's not like the world is crashing down around me and I'm the worst person in the universe. Sometimes it's like I'm a little hormonal and wow. Right. And if someone in my life can say that, can ask me those questions, um, it can help me to get back to that human space. The problem is there aren't that there. It's been my experience that there aren't a lot of people who can separate themselves from my discomfort long enough to get to that place. Right. So the immediate is I call somebody and I'm upset and I make them, I'm, my discomfort, my sadness makes them uncomfortable and they want to fix it because they don't like to see me that way. And so, I mean, this happens a lot with my husband and I don't know if this is a male thing or whatnot, but I'll call, I'll have a problem and I'll sad right now. And, and immediately he jumps into like, well, what can we do about it? So I'm like, you know, have you, to- have you read uh, Men Are From Mars, Women, Women Are From Venus? Because uh, it's honestly, I feel it's essential for everybody in a relationship because it's like the instruction manual to how a man thinks. And that's one of the key things he says is men want to fix things. Women, women just yes. want to women just want to talk like if you tell that to another woman women understand that you just need to say those things out loud that you don't need me to say well Julie you could do this or do that but men want to fix things and that's kind of what drives uh, couples crazy is like I don't want you to offer me solutions I just need to tell you my whole story about everything that happened today when I was at the checkout and this woman said this and then I said that and then we felt like this and I don't want you to fix it (laughs) anyway is that the the book where it's where it's talking about the, the glass of water when, when uh, there's like a joke or something that has to do with that, when the the wife is like, I'm really thirsty, and the, the husband's like, here's a glass of water, and she's like, I don't want the water. I just want you to say, I'm sorry that you're th- like, I'm so sorry to hear that you're thirsty. You know, like I, I understand that you want to fix the problem for me, but I just want you to like sit with me in the problem for a second and say, wow, that must really suck for you. <laughs> I, like, I do know. I don't. I. I I don't know, but it sounds exactly like that kind of thing. I just yes. think every, every, it was really enlightening when I read it. I was like, mm-hmm. it, it is really, he really explains to women how men think and why they respond the way they do. He talks a lot about men going into their caves. Like every so often men mm. have to go into their cave and they do not want you to go in there after them. Do not go in there after them. Go go about <laughs> your business and they will come out when they're ready. And then he also does the same thing, talks about how women think and how to respond to them it's, it's really I think everybody at 18 should be given a mandatory copy to read because it's it really helps uh with with all of that but sorry I interrupted but that that kind of just came into no, my mind when sounds, you were... it was perfect well yeah I just I think that in, in this as a society of like let's fix it um, that you don't have to feel that way. I think that I've, I've probably even said that to a whole bunch of people. Like, I understand that you're in a bad place, but it doesn't have to be that way. Like, there are actions that you can take to feel better, which is true. However, if somebody's coming to me and they've tried A, B, and C, and they've done everything that they know how to do, and they still feel that way, then 
maybe it's okay to just sit with them in it. Like I, maybe it's okay that if I'm feeling sad and lonely or useless or whatever, and, and, and I tell you, maybe it's okay for you to just sit next to me in it and to just allow me the dignity and respect to just be sad and to just have you with me, right? And so that, it's taken me a long-ass time in recovery and in just as a human being to realize that sometimes that's my role. Sometimes my role is not to fix. Sometimes my yeah. role is just to say to somebody, it really must, that, that must be really hard for you right now. And I can't even imagine what that's like, but what I can do is sit here with you and, and allow you to know that you're not alone and that you can lean on me and that I'm not going to fall over. And so find, and, and this is going to sound like the unicorn thing, find a unicorn, Rachel, like, right? Like find, and, and I do have an, an amazing amount of women in my life that, that understand this kind of reality that, that, that I can call and say, like, sometimes I can even say, like, I know what the right thing to do is, and I can't bring myself to do it right now. So I just, I just wanted to voice that. And people can be like, cool, like, I respect the fact that you are so self-aware and that you know what the right thing to do. Like, that's okay. Like, just meet me there, you know? Instead of saying, like, tisk 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 or, like, waving your finger in my face, just to say, like, that's really cool that you can be aware that, you know, that you know what the right thing to do is, and, and the awareness is that you just don't want to or that you're not ready is really cool. That's really cool. And, like, let me know how that works out. Like, honestly, I'll be here every, you know, I'm going to sit next to you. And so let's do this together. And then helping somebody process is sometimes just just as easy as sitting there and listening to that. Like, that's it, you know? I, I think that um, it's really, you know, I think that's just a really a good question. And I think that everybody feels uh, like that. It, it, it definitely. I mean, I, I, you know, we have 17 years in recovery. We, I, I mean, I have done a gargantual amount of work on myself. Yeah. Um, I we help other people. I work with a lot of other people, and uh, you know it, it. It's been a real. It's been very important for me to learn at different stages of the, those seventeen years of sobriety to never. You know, every time I felt like I've got this, like I've I've really got this. My balance plate is really balanced. I've really I've really got this. It's usually just before I have like a curveball thrown at me yep. and, and something, you know, I have a, a really wonderful fucking growth opportunity. And yep. um, I, I have, I learned many years ago that it's how dangerous it is for me to not tell somebody else how I feel. Um, and, and so I think it's a paradox is when you really, really need help and want to reach out, you are going to feel that that's the last thing on earth that you want to do. Yes. And I think you need to yep. accept that that's normal. And every, everybody yep. feels like that. Everybody yep. feels like that. Cause so when I work with people who are in very early recovery, I kind of, I tell them this straight away. I'm like, um, you know, you can call me. So this is what you need to know. If you call me and I'm busy, I'm a proper grown up who's totally capable of saying, I'm busy right now, but I can call you back this evening. Is that okay? So you yep. do not need to do that thinking for me. You can just call. Right. And if I'm, if I can talk great, we'll talk. And if I'm busy, then I'll let you know and we'll rearrange another time. So I yep. kind of like, you know, coach them and, and like, they don't need to take care of me and, and what I'm doing. So I, I, I have to say, I really think just, I know we, you know, we can talk a lot about the negativity of social media or screens, but I do think sometimes um, 
being able to text someone or send a message on social media in, in like a supportive group and really struggling right now, it's, you know, most people can do that because it is very hands off. Nobody's in front of you. Now, right. that becomes a problem when that's the only way that you get support. Like, so if right. that's all you can do, send a text message or post a comment in a group, then do that. But also understand that you have to build face-to-face relationships as well down the road. And I've had, I, I, I have, I've had have someone in my life that I've had for a long time who's like my go-to person. But I have probably at least two or three other people that I, I have. Like I have another friend who's a mom that I just. Oh, this is just something I, I I I want to discuss this with. You know, in, in many ways, it's kind of overcoming our pride. I think sometimes it's pride. Yeah. You know, I agree. You know, agreed. But also, and self, and I want to say also selfishness, though, because I, I will, and not not to, I don't want to point fingers at anybody and say that they're being selfish. But when I, I sometimes I forget that when I call somebody and I trust them enough to give, to like let them have it, right. To let them know what's really going on in my heart and my soul and how I'm feeling, that that helps them. It lets them know that they're worthy of my trust. It lets them know that they're not alone in case they're going through the same thing. And it allows them the opportunity to be of service to me, which is really like what friendship is all about. Right. Cause which I'm also learning that it's a two way street. And so if I'm always helping you, and I'm not allowing you the opportunity to help me, then that's not, I'm not being a very good friend to you. And so if you have, you know, like, I think it's important, and and I'm going to, I do need to um, unfortunately go because I am in the trenches and they do need me back in the office. Um, But I think that I would urge Rachel to think about um, the opportunities that they're, you know, like if, if, if somebody's not calling me because they're, you know, afraid of what I'm going to do, whatever it is, um, they're not allowing me the opportunity to be a friend to them, right? Yeah. So yeah. that the greatest moment is when, and I, I feel that way as far as like my early recovery, that I was constantly calling people. I was constantly like, because I was like the problem child. Like I was constantly having issues <laughs> and problems and like drama in my life and constantly calling people who were, you know, help me, help me, help me, help me. And I remember the first time somebody called me for help. And it was the most amazing moment. Right where I'm like, holy shit! I I can give back now. I have something in the the well to give, and someone sees that and they want me my help, and so that was a huge gift to me. So I would also urge anybody who's who who needs help, who's afraid to ask because it's going to be a burden or because whatever you know. And I I have done that too because you think the person's going to be busy or you don't want to bother them. That you're in essence you know, robbing them of the opportunity to be a good friend to you and also the knowledge that they are worthy of your trust. And so do I, you know, do I suggest you go out and gift that to everybody in your, you know, contact list? No, but there, I, there are, we all have people. We all do. Some of us don't know it, but really, you know, um, and to just find those peeps, right? Because it's so important to have those peeps where you can just, like have that back and forth interaction and, and lean on each other and know that you are there and, um, and rock this thing because life is life and he, we're all human. We're all doing the best we can with what we've got and hoping it's enough and, you know, doing the drill. And so that in mind, my daughter is back at my window. I think she's going to bang soon. Um, <laughs> giving me that, she's giving me the well, stink eye. I got to go. We're, I know, we're, 
Hi, we're Donna. just about we're just about out of time. So um, I'm going to just wrap up here. But Julie, thank you so much for you know actually being in the field of parenting and calling in um, and doing this. And we are definitely going to do this again. So you, if you have any yeah. questions that you would like us to answer, please feel free to send us a message or comment on our Facebook pages. Uh, Julie Maida is Sober Mommies, and I'm Veronica Valley, uh, Recovery Rocks. So uh, I'm, actually, in- I'm, actually, I'm, I'm actually taking a break from Sober Mommies just for this week. So if you have a question, um, send me at either my personal or uh, Next Life No Kids. Oh, Next Life No Kids is also a great uh, blog that Julie runs as, as well. So thank you so much, Julie. That was awesome. Thank take you, care. Mark. I love your face. You too. Bye. All right. Take care. So thanks, everybody, for listening to the podcast. I just want to um, wrap up really by saying, uh, really reiterating what Julie was saying there is um, whenever anybody does reach out to help, uh, for help to me, I just, uh, I, I also, I consider that as a very sacred act. I, I really get how much it took for someone to do that and um I really honor it so the chances are with my two little kids I can't always speak when you do call but I will do my very best to get back to you as soon as I can so I think really wrapping that up um it's really a skill that takes practice that's that's really what it is you you just have to practice reaching out and saying I'm struggling or I'm not doing okay or can we talk and the more you do it the easier it will get so thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Um, we will be taking more questions on being a sober parent, so please submit them to us. And we will be back with you next week with a new topic. Take care.